There is a supernatural reality that is hard to explain, but easy to experience, and you know you're experiencing it when it's happening, because you sense what only God can do and that he is doing it. When you're born again, God gives you new life. His life becomes alive in you. That, that's what it means to be a Christian, is that you have new life, the life of Christ. And with that comes a whole nother understanding of reality, and it's supernatural. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. And because of his life in us, we see the world in a different way. We have a divine perspective. That is the series we're in, and we're, we're learning how it is we have this experience, how it is we're able to see the world. Everyone in the world is, is answering four fundamental questions. Where do we come from? What went wrong? Who can fix it? Is there any hope? And everyone has an answer to that question. Not everyone has a good answer. The best answer is found in the Bible. The Bible clearly communicates where we came from, what went wrong, who can fix it, and, and whether or not we can have hope, and we can. The Bible is a single story made up of four parts that answers every one of those questions. Where do we come from? God. He made all things. He is our creator. The world is not as it should be today. Why? What went wrong? The fall. We sinned. And sin has created brokenness and pain. And God would have been completely just in leaving us in our sin. But instead, God himself came into our world to rescue us from sin. And that's what Jesus Christ has done. He is our rescue. Is there any reason to have hope? Absolutely. Because Thankfully, this world is not our home. There is a restoration that is coming. You read about it in Revelation 21 and 22. New heaven, new earth. That is our hope. Now, when we see the world from that perspective, we have a completely different experience. We're able to endure. We're able to, to trust. We're able to deal with all kinds of trauma and, and challenges because of the work of God, because we can see from a divine perspective what is happening. In my time alone with God, I was in John 14 this morning, and I was this close to ditching this sermon and preaching John 14 this morning. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. Have you ever... Have you ever found it hard not to let your heart be troubled? Is it just me, or is that a hard command to keep? How many of you today, just a show of hands so that we can all at least acknowledge this, how many of you have something in your life, if you're not careful, maybe it's directly in your life or in the life of someone you love, if you're not careful, it could lead you to let your heart be troubled? Okay, almost everybody. And those of you who didn't have your hands up, wake up. How do we deal with that? We have to believe. But believe what? This is what our text shows us today. We have to have a right perspective. The Bible enables us to see Jesus for who he is, which allows us to see us for who we are and the world for what it is supposed to happen. Today we're going to focus on Jesus as the soul-cleansing reconciler because we have reconciliation, we have peace with God. Everything else changes. Everything else changes. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Colossians chapter 1 
Annie's going to come read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. She's going to be reading verses 21 through 23. Annie's my birthday buddy. We share the same birthday, and today we share God's stage to, to share His Word. So, sweet girl, read that for us. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen, you may be seated. This is the Word of God, and the Word of God is saying something significant to us. The, the original uh, recipients of this Word, of course, it was the ch church at Colossae. Epaphras, having uh, been sent on a mission trip by that church, informed Paul that there were heretics that were invading the church. And so, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, Paul speaks to that directly. I can't wait to get to that section here in a few months. But these heretics were basically, they were causing people to question the, the sufficiency of Christ. And so, when you look, if you will, look at verses 15 through 20. Th that is what commentators think is a song that was sung in the early church. As a matter of fact, in the original Greek, when you see it in the text, it's, it's actually kind of hyphenated. So, you can see that it was a separate section. And, and what that, that whole section there does is, is it says who Jesus is. That he is the first. That he is preeminent. That he is above all things. That he is a maker and sustainer of all things. And speaks to the greatness and the glory of God. And, and, and now Paul is writing to inform them of, of what that means for us. These, these heretics that were attacking this church are very much like the heretics that attack the church today. Here's the good news about the devil. He doesn't have any new tricks. He always is seeking to do two things. He's always trying to get us to deny the authority of God's word and the goodness of God's heart. So think about in the garden, Adam and Eve, Eve is there, and what does the devil do? Did God say, questions the authority of God's word? And then she uh, says back, not entirely what is true uh, that God had said, and then he says, but yes, but you know, that may be true, but you know, you can't trust God's heart, because he's trying to keep you from this tree where you can have everything you ever wanted. You can be your own God. This is the lie of the dark one, of the evil one. He is always causing us to question the authority of God's word. Do you believe in the authority of God's word? Do you? See, there are a lot of people who claim to believe in the authority of God's word. When we took our survey a few weeks ago, one of the things that it showed about our church is that we were high in understanding of doctrine. And our belief in the authority of God's word was one of the highest things that, that we stated. And yet, one in four of our members do not study the word of God every day. Can I tell you there's a difference between having a theory of belief in the authority of God's word and living in and under the authority of God's word? See, the authority of God's word is actualized when we read it, when we meditate on it, and when it is the focus of our way of being and understanding reality. See, the, the authority of Scripture comes in and as much as we know the Scriptures and abide in and obey those Scriptures. The heretics in 
Paul's day, we're, we're basically attacking, attacking the, the person and work of Christ. And what they were saying is, is that Jesus is just one of many emanations of God. They, they were claiming that, that God, he could not become one of us. See, they taught that the flesh was evil. And so to say that God entered flesh, well, they were just, that just no way. Because flesh is evil, there's no way he could make peace between us and God in his flesh because flesh is evil. But here's the reality. Here's what the Bible teaches. Jesus is the only way to God. And he is the one in which who has cleansed us. And it is by his body and blood. In our world today, there are many well-meaning people who want to say all religions are the same. But here's what's funny about that. If you actually study world religions, what you will find is all of them have exclusive truth claims. You go and you study Judaism or Hinduism or Buddhism or Taoism or Islam or anything else. They all have specific truth claims. And we don't all say we believe the same thing. As a matter of fact, if you put us in a room together and we're all honest, we'd say, hey, we agree on a few things, but we don't agree on this, this, this. I mean, there are, there are all exclusive truth claims. And so it is false to say oh, all religions are the same. They're not. There are those who would say, you know, we, we, we can't get to God. We can just kind of have an idea of God. That's not true. God has come so that we can be near him. And what our text today gives is a detailed explanation of why it is Jesus is the only way to God and what it is he's done to make that possible. He has cleansed us. He has reconciled us. So take note. Jesus cleanses us, first of all, from our hostility toward God. Hostility, what an intense word. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So having outlined again this, 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 the greatness of Jesus, he, he's now reminding the people what they once were. He said, those who once were alienated... Now, this, this, is an I, this is a sense of being. This is not a subjective feeling. It is an objective reality. What does it mean to be alienated? Paul describes this in Ephesians 4.18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They are in darkness. They are separate from God. They are ignorant of truth. And their heart is hard towards God. They're hostile towards God. And, and they are hostile in mind. Enemies in your thought, literally. The, the word can actually be translated not just hostile, but hateful. In, in, in Romans 8, chapter 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God. Indeed, it cannot. If you have not been born again, you can't help but be hostile to God. You want to be your own God. This is the nature of what it means to be fallen. This is what it is to have a sin nature. Those of you who are parents, you understand this. You never had to teach your child to lie, did you? That came with them at birth. You never had to sit down and say, okay, sweetheart, today I'm going to teach you how to lie. All right, you, you cover it up. No, 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 no. That came built in. Why? Because they, like us all, have a sin nature. We have to train them not to lie, and that with threats. There is a hostility even, and you see it in a child, and it's in all of us, because we want to be our own God. All you got to do is go teach the two-year-olds to learn this. If you don't believe me, we'll sign you up later. We'll send you down to the two-year-olds next week. You'll love it. Trust me. <laughs> Paul grieves over this, this reality, 
Philippians 3, 18 and 19. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is just destruction. Their, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This is what it is to be hostile to God. It, it is to be separate from him, to be hostile in mind. And so those who are alienated and hostile in mind are those who are doing evil deeds. See, it, it's, not, it's not because they were doing evil deeds that they were hostile in mind. It's because they were hostile in mind that they do evil deeds. See, our minds tell us what is true, which inform our feelings. And what you think and feel ultimately will determine what it is you do. And so when we have a wrong perspective, we believe the wrong things, we feel the wrong things, and we do the wrong things. So without Christ, we are separated from God, we are hostile to God, and we are sinful in our actions, and it creates brokenness. Why are we so tempted today to let our hearts be troubled? Why is it we have to deal with frustration and hurt and pain? It's brokenness. Where does it come from? It doesn't come from, from God. No, God made all things to be in harmony. God's design was perfect. Why is there brokenness? It's not because God's done anything wrong. It's because of what we have done that is wrong. It is sin. It's not that we made a mistake, although that's what we would like to say. It's just a little thing. I, I just sort of, kind of. No, no, no. It's sin. And, and this sin separates us from God and from birth. And because of the fall, we are now under a curse. But God, now in Christ, we can have a different perspective. We can have new life. Understand Jesus cleanses us to reconcile us to God. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh, again, dealing with the lies of, of these Gnostics, these heretics. No, no, it was actually in the body of Christ by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. This is the gospel. This is what saves. It is the fact that God himself has entered into our world. He has paid the penalty for our sin. So now we can repent and say, God, I'm wrong. You're right. Forgive me. I know that you have paid the penalty through your death. Now I can believe. And, and believing in Christ enables me to recover and to pursue God's design. God became flesh. He took our punishment. And now by faith, we can receive the benefits of his grace because he is alive. That only happens in as much as we understand and believe our condition. Do you understand your condition? Can you be honest enough about where you've been and some of you where you are? Romans chapter three, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. Everyone is dealing with brokenness but are justified and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward. Look at this, as a propitiation. A propitiation is an object that receives wrath so that justice is served and divinity is appeased. This idea of propitiation is, is, was very common in the ancient Near East. When Christ was, was ministering on this planet, when the New Testament was being written, this was not a foreign concept. 
As a matter of fact, most, if not all religions, you go back and read Greek mythology, there was always this, this conversation of how do we appease the gods? How can we get the gods on our side? How can we get them to not be mad at us? We must appease those gods. And almost always it was through human sacrifice. So this idea had something of the truth, but not the truth, because there is only one true God. He is Father, Son, and Spirit, and the Son before the foundation of the world determined that He would come as our propitiation, as the object that would receive the wrath of God and satisfy the justice of God. Have you ever noticed that there's a tendency within all of us, when we've made a mistake, when we've sinned, when we've done something wrong, how there's a desire in us to to want to make up for what we've done. It, it's impossible, but we want to. I mean, you, you say something you didn't mean to say. You do something you didn't want to do. You, you, you cause pain and suffering. And there's something inside of you, even though we're sinful, we're still made in the image of God. There's something inside of us. It makes us want to make up for what we've done. But here's the deal. We can't. It's, it's like toothpaste out of the tube. Once it's out, it ain't going back in. It's out. And there's nothing that can be done about it. Some of you guys know the story. You've heard me tell it probably too many times about when I was 12 years old and I sunk my uncle's white Ford Pinto. How many of you guys have heard me tell that story? I won't tell, I won't tell again. But for those of you who aren't here, I sunk a white Ford Pinto. It's one of my claims to fame in the Percy Priest Lake. That's right. And I almost died doing it. After I swam out of the car, I swam up onto to the land, and I crawled up on the land, and my uncle was standing there. <laughs> and he had, he, he had this look on his face like, what just happened? And I remember feeling so bad. I mean, I was a hard-hearted, mean-spirited, sinful, sinful kid. And even me, hard-hearted Pettis, actually felt bad. And I wanted to make up, our, and all I could say, it's just so crazy. I'm sorry I sunk your car. <laughs> you know, I wanted to make up for it, but, but I couldn't. Friends, we don't have the ability to make up for our sin. There's nothing you can do to undo what you've done. All that is left to do is to acknowledge that you have sinned and repent to come to God for mercy. See, if, if you will, you can pray what King David prayed in Psalm 51. Do you know this one? Because see, when we sin, we sin first and foremost against God. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. Now, let's not forget, he murdered Uriah. He had an, an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. He sinned against all of the nation. He, he didn't just sin, but he says, first and foremost, what I've ultimately done, I have sinned against you and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God, you're right, I'm wrong. That's what repentance begins with. You're right, I'm wrong. I want to obey you. I don't want to obey me. I want to do what you want to do. And the good news, the good news is, is we can repent. Understand this today. 
there will be punishment for your sin. Either you can take it or you can trust that Christ took it for you. One of two options. Either you take it or you trust that Christ took it for you on the cross. Romans 6.23 says this. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There must be a death. Jesus Christ died to pay for our sin. And either you receive that or you're going to experience an eternal death. But if we will repent and believe, we will be reconciled to God. And when we are reconciled, we are made right with God and we're given a new life. Look at what we're given. We're given, we are made holy. We have a new identity. We are saints. Look at this. We are blameless. That We have a new standing. We are children of God. Look at this. We are above reproach. We have a new way of life. It is a Holy Spirit-led life. And this, this took place. This happens because Jesus Christ, in his body of flesh, by his death, has overcome our hostility. Beautifully explained in Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He has overcome our hate. He has overcome our unwillingness to submit and might reconcile us both to God in, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. It is through Christ and his death that all that is separated from us is demolished. But we must believe but what are we to believe? Write it down and remember. We are reconciled by faith in the gospel. Jesus cleanses us by faith in the gospel. There is an object to our faith. And if indeed you continue in the faith, what is the faith? The faith in the gospel, stable and steadfast. Understand this morning, you have faith in something. Whatever you have faith in, that defines you. It gives your life meaning. It gives you hope. It is your purpose. For some of you, that's your children. For some of you, that's your job. For some of you, that is your pleasure that you're pursuing or, your, or, or, or some kind of acclamation, uh, some kind of success. Everybody in this room has faith in something that they are counting on to give them hope. Let me tell you this. You've got one of two kinds of hope this morning. Either you have living hope or you have dying hope. Living hope is giving to those who believe in the living God who defeated sin and death and now is alive. Dying hope. Dying hope is what is experienced by those who are trusting in a created thing. Those who are looking to other people, to yourselves, to ideologies, institutions, to government, to things you can buy, experience, see, or taste. Some of you are trusting in yourself. How many times have you let yourself down? How many times have you said, I'll never do it again, only to do it again? How many times have you trusted in a person that you thought was going to make you happy, that it was going to fix everything? If I could just get married, if I could just have children, if I could just get to know this person, if I could just get in this situation, if I could just have this thing. No created thing can satisfy the longing of your soul. It can't overcome the sin that's in your heart. It cannot make you new. There's only one power. It is the power of God. What is that power? Romans chapter 1. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in, the, if, in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is only by faith in the gospel that we have peace with God. It is in that peace that we are able to continue. It says here, if indeed, it's an interesting word, I'm not going to go through the etymology, but it states a fact that will occur because it has occurred. If indeed you continue, you will continue, you will abide, you will adhere, you will be stable, there will not be a change, you will be steadfast, it will not be shifting. Christians are like the wise men Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7. Every, then everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Those who build their lives on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and the gospel. There is a stability. There is a continuation. There is an adherence. There is a stabilization. Now let me tell you what this doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have doubts. You are always throughout your lifetime, gonna have to deal with your doubts. Let me tell you why God allows doubts. So that we will ask the hard questions and dig into his word to find the truth. Without doubts, we would just get satisfied with a very simplistic view of God himself. Doubts demand us to dig down into the true word of God to find the answer. The answer is in the word of God. Thank God for your doubts because it demands that you dig into his word. Not only are you going to have doubts, understand this, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with sin. You're going to struggle with other people. You're going to struggle with circumstances. All of that is so that we will not trust in ourselves or other people or other things, but only trust in Jesus Christ. Thank God for your doubts. Thank God for your struggles. Don't just let them sit there. Deal with them according to the word of truth. And through everything we go through, we will experience the life-changing hope in God. See, Jesus cleanses us for life-changing hope in God. He goes on to say, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now understand what he's not saying there. D.A. Carson writes this, and I agree. The claim of Paul's gospel, which focused on this hope, to be the true message of God is shown by its universal appeal. It hasn't already been preached, in, in, it has already been preached in representative towns and cities of the empire. Paul does not mean that every single individual has heard. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that as he has preached the gospel throughout all the Mediterranean, he's come across every kind of person that exists in this universe. And every kind of person has been transformed by the power of the gospel. And so our hope is not based on our abilities or knowledge, not based on our nationality or color, not based on our upbringing or connection. Our hope is based on the finished work of Christ, the good news that is the gospel, this truth, this reality, this story, this proclamation. And God has cleansed all who believe in the gospel. He's cleansed us. He's given us a holy standing. The, the, the Bible will sometimes use the metaphor, as, as is the case in Revelation, uh, of being given a white garment. 
on the Isle of Patmos, John received the revelation, and he described some individual in, uh, individuals in Sardis in a city. Listen to what he said in Revelation chapter 3. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. There are many who had rejected the faith. There were many who claimed to be Christians but did not live like it. They were still wallowing in sin. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, a remnant, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Those who are genuinely saved are made holy and covered in the righteousness of Christ. And although we will be tempted to soil our garments, and even though we will have to face trials, we we can always come to the gospel, not to be saved, but to be sanctified. And we can be made pure. But what God wants is for us to live in, in his beauty, in the beauty of Christ, having been clothed in the righteousness of God. Does that describe you? When people look at your lifestyle, do they see a person who is clothed in the righteousness of God? Do they see someone who's set apart? There's a little boy who was ticked off because his mom made him on the Saturday before Easter to put on his Easter outfit. Apparently, they had tried to do Easter pictures before, and everybody came all dirty and nasty, and she decided this year we're going to do pictures on Saturday and then I won't be stressed out and mad on Sunday. Many of you mothers can understand the desire not to have the wrath of mom on Easter. So they, they all got dressed up, and dad and the other siblings went, and then the youngest was finally all decked out, looking good, and his mom said, okay, I've gotten everybody dressed. I will come afterward. Go down to your grandmother's, three houses down, where we're going to take the picture. Do not get dirty. I will soon be right behind you. You mothers are amazing. You get all of us crazy people together, and then you can still get yourself together and look great. You're miracle workers. Thank you for dealing with us. So here's this little boy. He comes out of his house. He gets out to the front, and what does he see but his favorite mud puddle? I mean, who doesn't love to try to jump over a mud puddle? Who often fails at jumping over? And he thought, and he said, not today. So he went around. Got past that one, went to the next house. He looks over, and his friends are playing football in the front yard. Come on, let's play some ball. Oh, he wanted to so bad. But he thought, you know what? I'll catch one pass. I'll fall down. It'll be a grass stain. There will be the wrath of mom. Not today. Gets down to the third house, gets down to his grandmother's house, and who comes to meet him but Rusty, grandma's dog that he loves so much. But he's dirty. And though he wants to play with his dog, everything inside of him says, no. So he walked around. He's heading up the steps. And as he does, he hears his mother hurrying up behind him. And she says, I am so pleased. I was behind you the whole time. I saw the puddle. I saw the game. I saw the dog. And you were faithful. And you are clothed as I made you. 
and I'm so happy. God is not far from us. He has clothed us in his righteousness. And he knows there's mud puddles. He knows there's games of sin to play with. He knows the dirty dogs of the world who would seek to get us to, to, to fall into the filthiness that they would provide. Might we get a laugh? Might we get a little fun? Might we get a little pleasure? Absolutely. Is it really worth it? God says, I've made you to walk in purity. I have with my body and blood reconciled you to clothe you in righteousness. God says to you today, I know what's best for you. I know what will satisfy your soul. There's nothing in this world that can do it. Why aren't you trusting me? That's a question I want you to ask yourself today. Some of you have not trusted Christ here today. What are you giving up Jesus for? And is it really worth it? Some of you need today to come and get on your knees and say, Lord, forgive me. I believe. Take my life. Make me pure. I'm with you. Some of you are children of God today. But if you're honest, and maybe you can't be because it's just too harsh of a reality. But if you're honest, some of you would have to say, I've been playing with dirty dogs and I've been playing games of sin and I've been playing in the mud and I've soiled the garment of God given to me in Christ. And today you need to get on your knees and you need to say, Lord, sanctify me. I'm sorry, I've been telling you that you're wrong and I'm right and that I'm God and you're not, forgive me. You are God, you are right. Cleanse me, I will obey. Some of you need help. Some of you need to be revived, all of us do. I wanna invite you today to come and get on your knees and ask God for help. Maybe it's not for you, maybe it's for someone you love. I wanna ask some of you to come and pray that living hope will be revived that we will have such a hunger for the righteousness of God that we would do anything to gain it. That we will be people that don't just say we believe in the word of God, but we genuinely live under the authority of God's word because we read it and obey it. Because we are experiencing his power. Come and pray, not only that we would be revived, but there would be an awakening. A revived church can experience an awakening of God. We are ready. Our world needs a third great awakening. It's time. Where does it begin? It begins with God's people on their knees begging for it. Let's stand together. Father, it is so easy to play church. It's so easy to sit and smile and say what we believe. It's so hard to let our hearts not be troubled, to believe in you, to believe that you've done everything necessary to reconcile us, to believe that you are our living hope, to believe that you really do love and care for us, to believe that, that you really will forgive and redeem and make new, that you will cleanse us. Lord, I pray for some today that they will come and get on their knees and say, Lord, take my life, it's yours, I repent. I trust in you, forgive me, save me. I pray for some today who would say, Lord, I've dirtied this garment, this name, 
this life. Forgive me. Make me hungry for your word. Give me the power to obey and love. Lord, I pray for those who would come today and say, Lord, help me. Revive me. Revive this church. Let us experience awakening. Lord God, it only happens by the blood of Jesus. Hear our prayers. Help us to believe. Come and pray.